Well, before we actually get into our new series for this spring on the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, I do want to point your attention back just for a second to the handout that's in your bulletin that says, Get Connected at Grace. I I just want to get up here, and and as the guy who speaks to you most of the time on Sunday mornings, I want to say very, very clearly that I do not believe that the primary place or way that you grow in your faith is by coming here on Sunday mornings. I'm glad you come. This is important. Gathering together for church on the Sabbath day, this is crucial to our lives. But this is not where you're going to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ as much as this. We grow as followers of Jesus Christ primarily when we gather in small groups with one another to study and apply God's word for ourselves. That's where my growth really took off when I was in a small group Bible study. I believe the same will be true for you. So many of you are already plugged in. That's great. You're already taken care of, but many of you aren't. And so I challenge you to look over this page. It's front and back. It has tons of options for how you can plug in here into a small group. You can sign up for all of these options in the foyer after the service or on our webpage. I want to point out one in particular that I'm really excited about. I've actually been hoping for this for quite a few years now, pretty much all six years I've been here pastoring, I've hoped that we would have an opportunity to take you guys through the book of James. We looked at one passage last semester. Uh, for those of you who are here, I think you'll agree it was pretty exciting, pretty crazy passage we looked at. Well, the whole book is exciting. The whole book is awesome. James is incredibly convicting, incredibly powerful. Uh, he is probably the closest uh, epistle to the teachings of Jesus, so it will fit very nicely with our sermon series this semester. I challenge you to study, to join one of these groups studying the book of James this semester. It will change your life. It will bless you immensely. Now, when I first started studying the Bible on my own, like what we'll be doing in the book of James this semester, I realized that I, I had a problem. You see, when you read the Bible, you discover that it is made up of, of words and clauses and sentences and paragraphs, all things that we're supposed to learn about in junior high English. That's what junior high English class is supposed to teach us, all those grammar kind of things. I have a problem, though. I did not learn a lot in junior high English. Um, I, I didn't learn much about those pieces of grammar, so when I came to study the Bible, I had to kind of relearn all of that stuff. I actually had to get a book on English grammar and study it because I didn't remember what a verb is or a direct object. I didn't remember how clauses worked. I didn't know any of that stuff because I I didn't learn much from junior high English, and it it wasn't my teacher's fault. I I actually had great teachers growing up. I I remember these these women who taught junior high English. They were passionate. Uh, I often made fun of them in my mind because of how much passion they had for English. They loved it. They they brought creativity to their lectures. It was not their fault that I did not learn. It was my fault. I was an unwilling student. I was not interested in junior high English. I did not care about it. I simply wanted to do enough to get a good grade, and that was enough for me. I didn't really want to learn the stuff. I didn't want to pay attention. It was boring to me. I did not care about junior high English. I had great teachers, but it didn't matter because I was an unwilling student. Didn't learn because I was not willing to learn from them. Well, this semester, we're going to be looking at the teachings of Jesus. Uh, Without doubt, the greatest teacher who has ever lived on this planet, uh, greatest teacher ever. Jesus' teachings are incredible. And yet, as great a teacher as Jesus is, just like my experience in junior high English, we will learn nothing unless we are willing. Unless we are willing to bow the knee, to sit at his feet, the title of our series this spring, unless we are willing to hear and receive and apply his teachings to our life, we won't learn. You have to be a willing student if you're going to learn. And so uh, as we look at the life of Jesus this semester, I want to start this morning by answering the question, why should we sit at the feet 
of Jesus? Why should we bow the knee and and listen and learn and apply the teachings of Jesus? Why should we put in the work? It takes work. It takes effort to study and learn and apply the teachings of Jesus. Why should we do it? There were plenty of people in Jesus' day who didn't. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, you see there's, there's relatively few people who were willing to sit at his feet. The religious leaders in the crowds, they weren't willing. They listened to Jesus from a distance. They listened on the fence. They weren't willing to receive his teachings. They rejected his teachings. As a result, they remained in the darkness, blind and, and with lives unchanged. There were only a few who drew near, who bowed the knee and sat at his feet and learned. We call them the disciples, those who were willing to draw near to Jesus, those whose lives were transformed by his truth. Our prayer this semester is that we would be like the disciples and not like the crowds, that we would not listen from a distance, but that we would draw near and willingly sit at Jesus' feet and receive his teachings. And so this morning we're going to talk about why is it that we should be willing to sit at the feet of Jesus and put in the effort and the work that we'll have to put in this semester to hear and learn and receive and apply his teachings. Now, there's plenty of other teachers and scholars and talk show hosts clamoring for our attention these days. And their teachings come in in much slicker packages. They come with PowerPoint presentations. They come with the the latest research, the latest focus groups. They speak to life in the 21st century. They talk about the stuff that you're doing today. Why should we listen and pay attention to a guy who spoke 2,000 years ago to a completely different society rather than all these other people we could be listening to today? Why should we pay attention to Jesus rather than what we find on the bookshelves of Target or Barnes & Noble? Well, I want to give you five reasons this morning why we should willingly sit at the feet of Jesus. Why we should put in the time and effort to hear and learn and apply his teachings. Why is it worth sitting at the feet of Jesus? Reason number one, why it's worth our time and effort. Because in the teachings of Jesus, we see supreme authority revealed. Jesus' teachings are supremely authoritative. It's, it's really interesting if you read the teachings of Jesus and then you compare them to other ancient documents we have that record the teachings of other Jewish rabbis, other contemporaries of Jesus. Um, the, these other rabbis, other teachers in Israel, every time they would say something, they would back it up with a bunch of quotations. That They relied upon the authority of others for everything they said. So they'll say a statement and there'll, there'll be all these quotes under it. Quote, 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 quote of all these other rabbis. They're trying to glean authority from all these other sources. That's how they did their thing. That's where they gathered authority was from other people. But then we read Jesus' writings and we see something different. When we look at Jesus' greatest sermon, his greatest teaching moment ever, the Sermon on the Mount, we see something amazing. Over and over again, Jesus says, you have heard it said, and then he quotes the Old Testament law, a commandment from the law, and then he says, but I say to you, and then gives us a new commandment. Okay, we hear those words and we don't think about them. Those are radical words. No one in the ancient world ever said that, ever said what, he is basically saying, I don't have to quote anybody, I have not just the same authority as the Old Testament law, I have a greater authority, my authority is simply found in my words, I don't have to quote anybody, I can reveal law to you. Jesus spoke with divine authority, why could he get away with that? Why could Jesus speak with authority that no other rabbi ever spoke with? Well, I'll give you a few reasons. Um, In the life of Jesus, we see come together all the, the offices or positions of authority that you read about in the Old Testament. There's really three positions of authority that are mentioned throughout the Old Testament that are found in the Old Testament law. And in Jesus, they all come together. We see that in the book of Hebrews. Turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. 
book of Hebrews has, as much as any book, uh, a, a lot to say about Jesus. It reveals a lot about who he is and what he did. And it starts right at the beginning with telling us who Jesus is and what positions of authority he possessed. So look with me, starting in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 1. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, and these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Now you may not pick it up, but there's actually three positions of authority that are mentioned in this passage. The first one is prophet. Starts right there at the beginning, verses 1 and 2. God spoke in the Old Testament through many different prophets. Now he's spoken through the greatest of all prophets, his son. Jesus is the greatest of all prophets. A prophet reveals God's words to man. He explains God to man. That's what Jesus did. Jesus says in John 12, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. So why can Jesus speak with such radical, incredible authority? Well, first and foremost, because he is our prophet. He is the greatest of all prophets. He speaks the words of God to us. And and as he speaks for the Father, it's going to be really interesting as we go through the teachings of Jesus this semester, we will see that as as a perfect prophet, he speaks with great boldness, even when it causes him to have to say unpopular things. Throughout Jesus' ministry, you see him being a very bold prophet. He, he says things that are incredibly uh, unpopular, things that get him in trouble. Jesus rebukes the powers that be of the day. He rebukes the secular and religious leaders of the day. When you read Jesus' rebukes, uh, they're scathing. Uh, there's a reason that most of his rebukes end with the statement that the people he was talking to plotted how to kill him. They got angry at what he said because he spoke with the boldness of a prophet. So that's the first reason Jesus can speak with authority. He is our prophet. Second reason that you get from this passage is that he is our priest. That's what is mentioned in verse 3. He, when he made purification of sins, that's the office of a priest. A priest helps take care of our sins. A priest represents human beings to God. Now, you may have noticed that here at Grace Bible Church, uh, we don't have any priests I'm not your priest. You don't call me priest. You, you call me pastor. We don't have any priests. Reason is, is you don't need me to be your priest. You already have a perfect eternal priest. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. You can leave your your finger in in chapter 1. We'll come back to it. But look at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, we'll start at the end of the chapter, verse 24. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. The the author of Hebrews is here talking to us about the priestly ministry of Jesus. He's telling us why does Jesus have such authority? Because he is our perfect eternal high priest. He offered a perfect eternal final sacrifice for sins. That's what priests do. They offer sacrifices for human sin. Now in the Old Testament, what were those sacrifices? 
They were goats and bulls and, and they were sheep and they were birds. And those are not perfect sacrifices. Those are animals. They can't fully take care of sin. And so they were having to offer those animals over and over again every day, hundreds of animals for human sin. And Jesus said, enough of that. That's not what this is about. And so Jesus got up on the cross and offered himself as the perfect final sacrifice for sin. That's what, that's what the cross is. It, it is the altar at which Jesus offered his own body as the perfect final sacrifice sacrifice for sin as the the perfect high priest offering himself for sin that that's the great news of the gospel that's why we give people hope in the gospel because their sins are already taken care of they don't need to try to take care of their sins they don't need to try to earn their way to god make themselves look good to god their sin problems already taken care of because jesus died as a sacrifice for past present and future sin all sin is paid for in the perfect sacrifice of jesus and all we have to do is simply believe If you believe that Jesus died as your perfect sacrifice, then you are saved. You are good with God. But but notice in Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus wasn't just your high priest up on the cross. At that point in time, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus is still your high priest today. He lives forever to make intercession for us, to represent us to God. He lives forever to save us and draw us near to God. You will never stop needing Jesus to be your priest. You'll be in heaven and Jesus will still be your priest. He'll be the guy, God's own son, who represents you to the Father, who draws you near to the Father, who intercedes for you to the Father. So Jesus can speak with this unprecedented authority because not only is he our prophet, but he is our priest. And then position number three that Jesus holds is king. Prophet, priest, and king. Hebrews chapter one again. Uh, this kingly authority that Jesus has is, is found in verse two whom he appointed heir of all things. Jesus is, uh, is heir of, of all things, of all the universe. All of it belongs to him. He has authority over it. This is a kingly title that Jesus possesses. It's interesting when we look at the Old Testament, no individual was ever allowed to possess more than one of these offices under the Mosaic law. If a king tried to act like a priest, he was put to death. If a priest tried to act like a king, he was put to death. You could only have one of them, but in Jesus, all three come together. He is not just prophet and priest, but he is also king. Now, that kingly title or rank of Jesus is actually revealed in the titles or names of Jesus that we will be encountering throughout this semester. All four of these names refer to Jesus' kingly authority. Son of David. That, that's not just about, well, David was Jesus' great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> Son of David means that Jesus is the Davidic king. He is a descendant of David who has authority over the nation of Israel to rule over Israel as king. Son of man, that's referring back to a prophecy in the book of Daniel where Daniel saw this glorified human being walk up to the the ancient of days, God the Father, and and, and God the Father gives this glorified man all authority over the earth, uh, authority over every nation of the earth. So son of man is saying Jesus is that glorified man who is king over all the earth. Now, Son of God, when we hear that title, we think, well, second member of the Trinity. That's what it will come to mean. But when Jesus first shows up, that's actually an Old Testament title. The Son of God is the King. The appointed king of God is the title from the book of Psalms. It means the one whom God has chosen to rule over the earth. That's what the title originally means, king of kings. And then finally, title number four, Messiah, God's anointed one, the one who holds God's authority on earth. In Greek, it's translated Christ. So when you see the name Jesus Christ, it's not first name, last name. Christ is not a name, it's a title. It's Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one or the sent one or the king is the idea. It's a kingly title. 
So Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. That's why he is allowed to have supreme authority, why he doesn't need to quote experts, why he doesn't need to quote the opinions of others. But there's actually a fourth reason that's greater than all three of these because Jesus wasn't just prophet, priest, and king, was he? Jesus was something even bigger than that. Fourth title for you, Jesus was Emmanuel. That's Hebrew for God with us. Jesus is no mere man. He is actual God in human flesh. Hebrews 1 says it as clearly as anywhere in the Bible. Verse 3, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. In other words, Jesus is God himself. He bears God's glory. He is creator. He has power to hold all of the universe together. Jesus is not just prophet, priest, and king. He is God in human flesh. He was and is and forever will be God. Now, at this point, Brian and I were kind of looking at the sermon and realizing we could kind of end here. Why should we sit at the feet of Jesus? Well, because he's God. That's kind of enough of an answer, isn't it? That's enough. We should sit at his feet. We should receive his teachings because he's God. Jesus could have showed up and said, hey, uh, I'm God. Listen to me. And that would be enough because he's God. Fortunately, it doesn't end there, though. Jesus gives us four more reasons why we should sit at his feet, four more reasons why it's worth our time and effort to study and apply what he teaches. So not only does Jesus possess supreme authority and teach with supreme authority, but reason number two we should sit at his feet is his teachings are absolutely true. Everything he presents is absolute truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to notice a couple things in this verse. Uh, Number one observation I want you to make is notice Jesus doesn't say, I speak truth or I teach truth. He says, I am truth. It's not just that the words that Jesus spoke are true or the teachings he gave are true. It's that Jesus is truth. He is truth incarnate. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did is by definition truth because he is truth. He is truth in human flesh. Everything about Jesus is absolutely true, absolutely authentic. Second thing I want you to notice is the repeated definite article. So there's a little junior high English for you. What's a definite article? It's the word the. It means one thing and not others. Okay, so the, we see that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, not a way, a truth, a life. What is Jesus arguing for here? Exclusivity. He's saying that there are not multiple ways to God. There are not multiple sources of truth that leads you to eternal life. There's only one and it's me. Now, I love that Jesus is so clear about this. This teaching really offends our society. This is, this is probably the most offensive thing that Christians say in, in 21st century America. Exclusivity. Jesus is the only way. I love that Jesus is so clear because when they get mad at me, I can point them to Jesus. So, well, this isn't my teaching. This is Jesus. Look at what he said. He is the way, the truth, the life. You either accept it or not. You can't combine Jesus with others. It's him or nothing. Jesus is the exclusive source of truth. And and here's why this matters. Here's why it matters that what Jesus taught was absolutely true. It matters to us. It's significant to us because whether we realize it or not, we live in a world of deceit. Whether you're conscious of it or not, uh, when you leave this place, and even sometimes when you're in this place, you are going to be bombarded by lies. In this world, this side of heaven, we are constantly bombarded by lies. Uh, Lies come from from two sources. First source is from Satan. 
We're going to talk in a couple weeks about the existence of spiritual warfare. Satan really does exist. Demons really do exist, and and they have a lot of of weapons at their disposal, but there's one weapon they use above all. Their primary tool to work against us is deceit. That's Satan's primary tool to use against you. Uh, In John 8, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He is the source of deceit. That's his greatest weapon against us. He is trying to bombard you constantly with lies. That Satan's not the only source of deceit. The other source of deceit in our lives is us. Human beings are amazingly capable of deceit. We are full of deceit. Uh, We don't have to look far for proof of that. Our society is full of deceit. There's whole industries that are based on deceit. I'll give you a couple examples. The advertising industry. It, It exists to convince us that the way to be happy is to buy the latest product. If if you buy this, you will be happy. Well, I'm just going to tell you once and for all from the Bible, the way to be happy is not by buying something. If you have Jesus, you have no excuse to not be happy. You have everything you need to be happy if you've got Jesus. You don't need their latest product. The whole industry is based on deceitful premise. Another example, the pornographic industry, completely based on a lie. What do they do? They take pictures of women and then they airbrush them and they Photoshop them to remove all the God-given blemishes and create these perfect women that no woman on the planet can compete with whole industry is based on a lie designed to destroy you and make you discontent with actual women those are just two of many examples our society is absolutely full of deceit but deceit also comes from us within us i think you can make a very strong case biblically that every time we give in to sin we are giving in to a lie Every time you sin, you're giving into some form of deceit. You're either believing that, that God really isn't good, that God really doesn't know what's best, that God really doesn't love me, that I really deserve this sin, that this sin is no big deal, that this sin won't really hurt anybody. You're, you're giving into some lie when you choose to sin. Our lives are, are full of deceit. We're constantly surrounded by deceit. And in the midst of that deceit, we desperately need a rock of truth to cling to. A foundation that offers pure, undefiled, unadulterated, unairbrushed truth. And that's what Jesus is. Unchanging, undefiled, absolutely pure truth. That's what he offers us. That's why we should sit at his feet. Here's the third reason why it's worth our time and effort to sit at Jesus' feet. Because his teachings are delivered with unrivaled skill. I really mean it when I say that Jesus is the greatest teacher who has ever lived. It's not just because he's God. That, again, would be enough. He's the greatest teacher who's ever lived because he's incredibly skillful. When you study the teachings of Jesus, the, the, not just what he taught, but the methods he used, it's amazing. He is the best teacher ever. Uh, when you look at the teachings of Jesus, you'll see an incredible amount of creativity. Jesus spoke to a lot of different audiences, uh, big audiences and small audiences, rich audiences and poor audiences, uh, educated audiences and uneducated audiences, old folks and young folks, audiences that were favorable towards him, audiences that were unfavorable. And in every case, Jesus crafted his message and modified his message to speak most perfectly to that group. Jesus didn't have some canned lecture that he got up and just spoke here, walks to the next town, speaks here, walks to the next town. He's always bringing creativity into his teaching. He used all of these devices and tools like object lessons, illustrations, parables, rhetorical questions, figurative language, all of these tools to help people to learn. He's an incredibly creative teacher. Second, he's an incredibly captivating teacher. 
I challenge you as you read through the Gospels to to observe his audiences and how his audiences respond to his teaching. You'll see a number of responses. You'll see some people really get happy. You'll see some people uh, draw near to Jesus. You'll see some people get confused. Some people get frustrated. You'll see some people get so angry they want to kill Jesus. What you will never see is someone fall asleep. There is never an example of Jesus boring anyone. He never was boring. He was always captivating. He captivated his audience through the use of surprising language, shocking language, ironic language. Many of the stories of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus are so familiar to us that they've lost the shock. That whole story of the Good Samaritan that's such a cute little story, why was that incredibly shocking back in the ancient world? Because in a Jew's mind, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. They hated the Samaritans. The the hero of the story is a Samaritan. That can't be. I guarantee there was not a single person sleeping when Jesus told that story. There were a lot of people really angry. No one was sleeping. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he says these shocking things to captivate us. To enter the kingdom of God, you must become as a child. Wait a minute, Jesus. I spent the last three decades trying to become unlike a child. Growing in education and stature and size and maturity, and now you're telling me go back? He's an incredibly captivating teacher. Third thing we see in the ministry of Jesus that shows his incredible skill is the wisdom with which he crafted his teaching ministry. As we go through this semester, uh, through the teachings of Jesus, we will see that his teaching ministry was not static. When he first showed up, he's teaching things that are unlike what he's teaching towards the end of his life. His teachings moved, they changed, they modified as he gradually unveiled himself to the nation. He's he's got an an incredible wisdom with which he reveals himself. At first he's hiding his identity, then he's revealing it. At first he's speaking directly and then he's speaking in parables. At first he's speaking about kingdom and then he's speaking about cross. He, He shows this incredible wisdom as he reveals himself to the nation of Israel. We'll see that this semester. It's it's incredible to see. So why should we sit at the feet of Jesus? Because he truly is the most skillful teacher who's ever lived. At seminary in my teaching and preaching classes, nine times out of ten, the example we would look at is Jesus. And it's not just because Jesus is the right answer at seminary. It's because he really does have the greatest skill as preacher and teacher ever. I wish I could be half of what he is as a teacher. He's incredible. We'll enjoy it this semester as we walk through his teachings. Fourth reason that we should sit at the feet of Jesus is because his teachings are powerfully proven. Now, one of the greatest frustrations that, that Julie and I have dealt with in the 13 weeks that we've had Luke and Gracie is that often we have, have had some need, uh, we, we've needed advice or some answer to some problem with Luke and Gracie. H- how do we get them to feed well? How do we get them to sleep well? How do we keep them healthy and alive? Well, you start to pick up books and you realize every book you pick up has a different answer to the question you're asking. Pediatrician A says one thing, pediatrician B says exactly the opposite thing. Both of them quote all of these studies, all of this research, and then you look back like 20 years ago and you realize all the research today conflicts with all the research back then and you don't know what to believe. No one can prove to you that their advice is right for your child. It leaves you desperate. You're so frustrated. I just wish somebody could prove to me what I need to do to keep Luke and Gracie alive and healthy and no one can do it. Well, fortunately, Jesus' ministry is very different. Jesus offered absolute proof for everything he taught, incontrovertible proof for the validity and truth and power of his teachings, truth that came in two forms or proof that came in two forms. The first way that Jesus proved himself was by miracles. I think most people don't um, see how miracles and teaching fit together. They, They see that as two different things Jesus did. 
Sometimes he's doing miracles over here, then he comes over here and he teaches. Two different ministries. Actually, it's the same ministry. Miracles and teachings fit together. Miracles are the way that Jesus gets you to pay attention to his teachings. It's the way that he validates that what he says is true. Miracles are proof of teaching. It's great that he healed all these people, but the the healing was not just about those people. It was to declare to the whole world, hey, here's a guy you should pay attention to. Here's a guy who's special. Here's a guy who comes with the power of God. You should probably listen to him. Nicodemus, one of the few religious leaders who did listen to Jesus, got this connection. He comes to Jesus by night and says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. That's right. That's the right idea, Nicodemus. Those miracles are there to prove that Jesus' words are true. No one can do what Jesus did unless God is with him. That's the first way that Jesus proved the truth or validity of his teachings. Second way he proved it was by his perfect life. A number of years ago, my, my brother wanted to go in to, to a doctor, to a, a, a new doctor, and, and talk to this doctor about how can he live a healthy lifestyle. What, what should he be eating? What should he be doing for exercise? What, what is best to live a very healthy lifestyle? So my brother sets up this appointment, and then he goes into the doctor, and there's just one problem. When he walks in the room and meets this new doctor, he sees that this doctor is incredibly unhealthy. Doctor doesn't look healthy at all. He's, he's incredibly overweight. He looks out of energy, looks very tired. And, and all of a sudden the appointment's blown because why should my brother listen and, and apply the advice he's about to get when it's not working for the doctor? The, the, the advice that this doctor is giving is not working in his own life. So, so why should my brother pay attention? Well, the opposite is true in Jesus's case. Why should we pay attention to the teachings of Jesus? Because in his life, they worked perfectly. We saw that in Hebrews 7. I'll just point you back to verse 26. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Do you want to live a life that is undefiled, that is pure, that is separate from sin, that is exalted, that is close to God, that is honoring to God? Well, Jesus lived that perfectly. He is the only teacher who has perfectly practiced what he preached. He perfectly lived out what he taught and it drew him close to God. It gave him a life of significance, a life of blessing. Why should we pay attention to Jesus? Because he proves the validity of his teachings by his perfect life. He perfectly lived what he taught. It perfectly worked for Jesus so it can work for me. That's why I should pay attention to him and sit at his feet. He's proven his teachings to us. Fifth and final reason that we should sit at Jesus' feet is because his teachings are immediately relevant to our lives. So often we are, are guilty of putting Jesus in a box. Okay, okay, Jesus, I want you to teach me how to be a good spiritual person. I want you to teach me about the spiritual parts of my life. Jesus, teach me to pray. Teach me to worship. Teach me to share my faith. There's just one problem with that. Jesus doesn't like being put in a box. Jesus' teachings bust out of any box that we try to confine them to. Jesus' teachings span every aspect of our lives. Jesus' teachings talk about not just spiritual subjects like prayer and worship and sharing our faith, but day-to-day subjects like how we use our money, how we pay our taxes, how we treat our neighbors, how we do our job, marriage and divorce, how we raise our kids. Everything in our lives is touched by Jesus. There is no arena of my life, no nothing I do any day of my life that is not somehow spoken to by Jesus. He speaks to every part of my life. Now, now we're tempted to think, okay, well, he spoke to every part of our lives, but 2,000 years ago, he gave us 2,000-year-old advice. And yet, as we study his advice this semester, we'll see, man, it's as if he's speaking today. 
He speaks exactly to the most important aspects of my life as a 21st century man. He gives me better, more relevant, more practical advice than any book on the shelves of Barnes & Noble. His teaching is immediately relevant to my life. It hits me right where I am today. It it touches every area of my life. There's no part of my life to which Jesus does not speak. He has so much to teach all of us this semester. The question for us is, are we willing to listen? Are we willing to sit at his feet and receive his teachings as truth and apply his teachings to our lives? Now, my failure to be a willing student in junior high English, it had some consequences. I did not learn grammar like I should. It affected me. It limited my ability to study the Bible years ago when I first started doing that. Uh, That consequence is infinitesimal compared to the consequence that comes if we are unwilling to learn from Jesus. That, That is really probably the most devastating thing you can do in your life is say, I'm not willing to listen to Jesus. I'm not willing to learn from him. I'm not willing to do the work to study and apply his teachings to my life. That's devastating to you because Jesus's words are what? They are the truth, the way, the life, the only source of life. So I want to end by giving you a few questions to consider, to meditate on. I'll give you a, a minute to really think about these questions. Number, question number one, I, am I willing to sit at Jesus' feet? And I, I think for a lot of us, you know, as we look at this question, our initial response is absolutely. I know not to rebel against Jesus. I'm willing to sit at his feet. The, the issue for us isn't so much outward rebellion. I think the issue for us is that we're, we're, we're tempted to just be a little bored with the teachings of Jesus. Grew up in church for many of us. We've heard the teachings of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, the parables of Jesus time and time again, and familiarity breeds contempt. We're not really excited about this semester because we spent so much time in the Gospels in the course of our life. The issue for us is not so much, am I willing to sit at his feet, but am I willing to stay awake? Am I willing to pay attention? Am I willing to hear the teachings of Jesus as if it was the first time? Am I willing to be shocked again? Am I willing to be drawn near to him? Am I willing to embrace his teachings and pay attention to his teachings? Are you willing to do that? It's going to take effort. For many of us, we've heard them many times before. Are you willing to look at them with fresh eyes? Second question to consider as we enter into this series on the teachings of Jesus. Do you believe that his words are both true and relevant? Or are you still putting that Jesus in that box, that, that box that only gives him a part of your life? Are you willing to let him speak to every part of your life? Do you believe his words are absolute truth and relevant to everything that you do? Third question to consider. Are you ready to both hear and obey what he teaches you? Interesting verse, John 14, 21, Jesus says, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me and those who love me will be loved by my father and I will love them and reveal myself to them. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to draw near to God and know God, there is a prerequisite. What is that prerequisite? Obedience. You have to be willing to obey or Jesus will not reveal himself to you. He he will not grow you in maturity. He will not grow you in knowledge. He will not draw you closer to the Father unless you are willing to obey. Disobedience shuts us off from the teaching ministry of Jesus Christ. So this semester as we enter into the teachings of Jesus, if there's some area of sin in your life and you just say, I'm not willing to give that up, I'm not willing to obey Jesus in that area of my life, this semester is not going to do you much good. These sermons aren't going to do you much good because you are shut off from the revelation of Jesus until you're willing to obey. So we're going to close in prayer. Uh, I'm going to give you a moment of silence, though, before I close us. And I want you to go before the Lord and think about these questions. I want you to ask yourself, are you willing to sit at his feet? 
Are you willing to look at his teachings to learn from him as if it's the first time with energy, with focus? Are you willing to believe that Jesus is speaking truth to every area of your life? And are you willing to obey what he teaches you? Let's go before the Lord. Lord God, we come together as a community this morning uh, and, and we wish to bow our knee to you and to confess that the teachings of your son are supremely authoritative, that they are your words to us. We believe that, Lord, we confess that. Lord, we confess that they are absolute truth, that, that in the ministry of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, we see pure, undefiled truth. We confess that Jesus' teachings are delivered with incredible skill. There will never be a teacher as great or skilled as him. Lord, we believe that his teachings are proven. We believe in his miracles. We believe that the miracles of Jesus and his perfect life prove the validity of all he taught. And Lord, we confess to you that we believe that Jesus' teachings are relevant to life in the 21st century. We confess that Jesus taught us, that he cared about us, that he wants to instruct us and touch every area of our lives. Lord, we, we believe these truths, but now we pray for your help this semester to really pay attention to really sit at Jesus' feet and learn, like little children learning for the first time, Lord, I pray that your spirit would lead us to learn from Jesus, that you would help us to obey his teachings, that you would help us to grow in truth and in knowledge and in maturity as we spend time in the life of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Lord, that this semester we get to talk about so many relevant subjects to our lives, not just spiritual subjects like prayer, but very day-to-day subjects, Lord, like how to use our money, how to, how to love one another in marriage and in raising our kids. Thank you for these subjects we get to cover, Lord. We pray that you would help us to be willing learners, excited learners, Lord. We pray that, that your son would captivate us this semester, that we would not fall asleep, but that we would be incredibly excited to sit at his feet and learn his words of truth and power. Thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him to reveal yourself to us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, one last uh, task I have for you guys this week as we get into this series on Jesus. I want to challenge every one of you. uh, Take some time this week to read through one of the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Pick one that you haven't spent much time in. Sit down this week and read all of it. You can do it in a few sittings, but that will help you to grasp the overall teaching and ministry of Jesus if you'll do it in the course of one week. So everyone, pick one gospel, read it for next week. We'll see you then.